Hey now, it's Mike Gilbert, host of the Mike and JD Show, right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Join JD by God Oliva and myself every Thursday night live on the Voices of Wrestling YouTube channel at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we stay up all night discussing all the hottest stories in professional wrestling. You can also check us out right here on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting feed or you can subscribe to the Mike and JD Show feed. Now, enjoy the show. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Double or nothing has passed, and welcome to a review episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungi here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcasting Network. I am your host, Tyler Fornis, with me as always is my co-host, Fred. I hated this show, Moreland. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, I wouldn't go necessarily that that far, but you said the show had passed, and some other things that passed are valve movements and kidney stones. Uh, just a couple things that popped to mind there for no particular mm-hmm. reason. Yeah, um, this what a treat to come back from vacation for was uh, this pile of something or other. I, I mean, I, you know, we'll get into it in depth here in a bit, but like the vibes on this show were were awful uh, for like four fifths of it. Um, and, and when you got a five hour show, four and a half, whatever it was, mm-hmm. and like the vast majority of it is is outright boring. That's a that's a bad time. That's not what you wanted to have happen. I was already annoyed at the beginning of the show because my gimmick didn't work. So I had to, uh, maybe I shouldn't say that I had to buy it, but I had to buy it. And I was just super annoyed. I'm like, okay, this show's now going to stink because I had, I had to fork over the cash. And guess what? I hated it until the last three matches. We're going to go match by match, but overarching thoughts, Fred, let's talk about the build here for a second. Cause this build was and we talked about it at length over the past few weeks very weird very odd and it felt like tony khan wasn't putting his best foot forward and i don't necessarily know if he wasn't putting his best foot forward but you know he's got bigger stuff planned down the line did i i want to float this idea by you because i've been thinking i've been stewing on it for a little bit did he add an excess amount of gimmick matches because he knew this this card as far as like what the matches were was not very strong like did you need to have mark briscoe as a special guest referee did you need to make it an unsanctioned match like did you need to have a battle royal it felt like he was trying to compensate for the fact that he knew that this was probably going to be the weakest of their four shows in 2023 Oh, yeah, you could definitely make that argument. Um, I can't really push back on it too much. It kind of, I mean, this was a, this was a weird build. We, we, you know, like you said, we've talked about a whole lot, just a very odd way to get to the main event uh, in particular, but also like we can point to stuff like Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee's weird treatment that basically their feud died and then it kind of got revived in this battle royal uh that's one thing that stuck out to me you had um 
you know, they, they could bring back Adam Cole and they obviously want him to be in a big spot, potentially to be facing MJF for the title later this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I get the theory on why that should have been an unsanctioned or no DQ match or whatever. Uh, although, like, the whole AEW is not legally responsible for this extreme rules ass match. Uh, was extremely, uh, pardon the pun, um, goofy. Uh, you know, and like the latter match seemed very odd. Uh, that step did. Um, and of course, you have the constant uh, House of Black rules where uh, disqual yes, disqualifications, uh, which will always crack me up. And uh, yeah, um, I mean, some of it made sense, but like they probably could have done without one or two more, and they could have done with a lot less interference on the show because that was a constant thing. And like some of these matches, you needed it. Like the the Triple J versus the FTR mm-hmm. uh, match. Uh, that you, you have to have the the Memphis stuff in that. If you know, especially with a match that involves Chef Jarrett in a prominent mm-hmm. ring role, it makes sense. I don't have an issue with that. Uh, I have an issue with everything leading up to the the trip to the circus, but uh, like you need that for that match to work. Um, Christian Cage and Wardlow. Um, yeah, that could have been uh, just a regular match. Uh, Adam Cole and Chris Jericho was just, boy. I, as, you know, uh, Rich brought up his theory that if you had them do this, you know, if they had had them wrestle a thousand times, um, they'd have a better match 999 times. And, like, you mm-hmm. know, I, I declared it, like, the zeroth percentile outcome. Um, for that match, like that is just the absolute worst thing you could have have happen in terms of what that match should have been. Um, and to take what should have been, frankly, a pretty good match at a baseline and turn it into what I thought was not only um, the the very easily the worst match on the card. Um, although I actually had the trios match close to it, you also had to have. Um, you know, like all this gimmickry with it that just did not help. It did not elevate it. The whole purpose of this stuff is to elevate your match, and they failed at that. But we'll get to that in a second. I got to say something about this damn pre-show. Um, I don't know who got who talked Tony Khan into doing pre-shows as like the dollar store version of the WWE's style. Um, because you can't even buy a table for these people to sit at. They just got to stand in a cleared off area in the crowd uh, and and say nothing for 40 minutes, and then you get a crappy six-man tag to on the pre-show. Um, it sucked. This didn't do anything. Uh, I can't, I cannot, I cannot fathom that, like, anyone that was on the fence about buying the show watched that pre-show and was like, clapping their hands together like reaching in for the wallet you know any of that stuff i can't imagine it it doesn't make any sense to me that somebody would watch 30 minutes of uh tall paul and stokely uh just say absolutely nothing of interest even though they probably could in a different circumstance and uh a random r and anderson promo that did nothing and uh a not very good six-man tag and be like this is this is how i'm pl- pl- plopping down my 50 bucks so I've been thinking about this a lot, Fred, and I, I want to propose this theory to you. I think you and I both agree that when you look back, and especially at Forbidden Door 2022, that was one of the best pre-shows we've ever seen. Yeah. 
I want to float this idea because I wonder if it's not drawing the buys. And here's here's kind of my thought process. Obviously, you can make the argument, oh, we get these great matches on the pre-show. The card's going to be even better, and you're going to get FOMO. But you also could look at it the other way, be like, oh, I just got four great matches for free. I don't need to buy the pay-per-view. And I'm wondering if the WWE style, they have some data that says that this boring-ass 40-minute panel with a bad pre-show match ends up getting more late buys than the style of just having a bunch of good matches. And I don't necessarily say I agree as the Hungry Cat. Uh, running. To, yeah, just, just a running of epic proportions. But... I'm curious what their data says, and I would love to be able to ask about it. I would love for somebody in the room to ask about it, but the room stinks now. Yeah. And it's almost like we got to make a trip and we got to go sit in the room after the show and yell at them for, you know, being bad. Well, we've already had discussions about how some of them think that it's actually bad to, uh, to possibly upset anyone in wrestling. Uh, but that's a different matter. Um, yeah, man, this if this increases buys, great. But like, maybe we could figure out a different way where it's actually entertaining, and even that increases buys even more. Because man, if you, if you're telling me that uh, that this this pre show is what leads to this is the maximal way to increase your late pay per view buys, if this is doing it, if there's nothing yeah. else, then capitalism has failed. Yeah, hundred percent. It's we 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 got to get Vladimir Lenin in here for the for the wrestling now. Yeah, Karl Marx coming out of his grave, the Hulkamania T-shirt. This is just it. It sucked. It was yeah. awful. I hated it. I had I apologized to my wife once the pre-show was over. I was like, I am sorry, and she was like, You didn't book it. I'm like, I know. I'm still sorry. This was not good. <laughs> I will say that. This pre-show, when your best workers are Austin and Colton Gunn, there's a problem. And and Hook, I guess. Hook was fine. But they bumped crazy. They worked incredibly hard. They're the perfect slimy lower to mid-card heel tag team. Yeah. Because they give a shit. They try. They put in the effort. It shows every single time they're out. Does it always land? No, but they care and they try. And that's at least something. Jeff Hardy, God bless him. I hope he stays clean. I hope he figures it out. He should never wrestle again. Mm-hmm. This dude has nothing left. And it's it's going it's to bad. become a thing where uh, he's just going to become such a shell of himself that people are going to start to forget how good he used to be. And yeah. they're just going to remember how bad he was. Sometimes well, we're kind of there with Matt Hardy already, too. So, hey, I will never forget Mattitude 2.0 from SmackDown 2004, yeah. baby. Let's go. Um, but yeah, it's they're just not there anymore. They're, it's not a thing. And I, do you even think they can have a successful nostalgia program with the Young Bucks at this point? They could have two years ago. Like, but in 2023, 2024, I'm not, I don't know, man. I, I don't, I don't think they can. And maybe, maybe they'll, maybe they just need to, maybe Jeff just needs to shake off a little ring rust and Matt mm-hmm. needs to do some DDP yoga or some shit. But like, this was, 
Well, because remember, we already saw the Hardys versus the Bucks once, and that match was not very good. The Bucks mm-hmm. had to like carry them through it. Yeah. I, I'm, I have no interest in watching the Hardy Boys ever again. And yeah, this is it, when you can't have a, a good match with the Young Bucks, then like that's it, man. Uh, I, would you rather see present day Rock and Roll Express than the Hardy Boys? Yes, I'm thinking the answer is yes for me. Yes, it's a hundred percent yes. I mean, I, I can't, I can't, you know, imagine. This sucks, man, and I hate saying it because the Hardy Boys are an all-time great tag team. I, I think they're they're like a weak yes for me for the Observer Hall of Fame at this moment. You know, I I see the argument, and I'm you know like yeah, that probably works for me. Um, but like, damn, this was this was rough. Um, Ethan Page, uh, my wife declared him the anti Ricky Starks. Uh, like matter and antimatter, just like the complete opposite in terms of charisma. Paige just looks like he should be a charismatic guy, and then he absolutely is not. And it, it stinks because I think he's he's got some stuff that I like about him, but he just I just don't think he's like he should be put anywhere other than like low mid card in this company. Um, and I'm not saying that maliciously because I think he has some cool moves. I think he has a decent sense of humor sometimes, but like I, and the fact that this feud is continuing is dreadful. It's truly dreadful. And if this continues on, on uh, dynamite, it's just going to be worse. You know, like rampage may not be a strong enough containment zone. Yeah. Um, Let's get to the show. Yeah. And I will give AEW credit. I thought the fact that they did, they did the entrances to end the pre-show was a good idea. And the last people to get entrances were the biggest names. And the really last guys were title holders. Brian mm-hmm. Cage, the Lucha Brothers. I mean, Swerve was in there, but it's the embassy and Brian Cage was in there. So, like, that makes sense. Yeah. And Orange Cassidy comes out. And he ends up winning, beating Swerve in the final two. And I got to say, my big takeaway from this was they should have strapped up Big Bill. He was Big great. Bill owns. Big, oh. If you had told me in, in uh, what, seven years ago, I think it was, when he reached the, uh, the main roster, that Cass was going to be uh, one of the highlights of American wrestling in 2023, I would have thought you were lying to me or that we had entered the bad timeline and uh maybe we are in the bad timeline but i don't think it's because of uh because of big bill big bill rules this was great um all right i'm gonna rant about something else here uh we gotta we gotta put jim ross off tv like permanently it's gotta it's not good anymore i know but like i think last night was even a new low for him um he, we got him outright doing a racism <laughs> during this match when um, they're, they're doing the spot where uh, it was Bandito stalling vertical suplex and the other luchadors were fighting off heels to let him do it. That he goes, ah, oh, these luchadors, they're all related, aren't they? It's like, no, man, this ain't, this ain't good. This is the exact opposite of good. It is bad. Um, I, 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 I still can't believe that there wasn't like a Nick Castellanos, uh, you know, moment with him apologizing and being yanked off the air mid-show. 
uh, after that. Like, and, and even ignoring that, Jr. was was awful. Um, was it the battle royal, or was it a match after that where there was a bump into the uh, the uh, announcing table and he just lost his mind? Um, I can't recall now, but. I mean, he just kept like complaining about that, and I don't know why they put the announce table at ringside for just the second time in company history, and then like put what fragile. Was the first time, I uh, I think Excalibur mentioned this on the show. It was like Fight for the Fallen twenty twenty. I think it was. Um, oh wait, the first Fight for the Fallen twenty nineteen. I think so, maybe twenty nineteen. Okay. Um, but it was very early in the company's history. Um. But yeah, I mean, like, you know, JR just like blowing gimmicks for matches, uh, like not understanding with Sabu standing directly in front of a ref shirted um, Aubrey Edwards that uh, he was like, is Sabu the ref for this match? Like we were hitting, um, uh, oh God, uh, Art Donovan levels with him at points. Just like, you know, completely out of touch, unaware of what's going on. And it just, it needs to stop. It's not good. Have them do those pre-taped sit-down interviews. Have them do press, whatever you need to do. But like, it, it, we gotta stop. It ain't good. It's the exact opposite of good. Yeah, it's <sighs> he need he needs to be put out to pasture. Like he can. He and he's work. like the voice of our childhoods. Me and you, we're about the same age. We grew up watching the Monday Night Wars. Yeah, I, I know what Jim Ross is. I, I'm fully aware of how great Jim Ross is. I still think he's like, if not the greatest, like one of the three greatest announcers of all time. Uh but like he doesn't have it anymore. This this is not it anymore. He can't he's not good. Um at his best days, like his best announcing jobs are when he doesn't say anything uh, uh, bad. You know, uh I was I was freaked out for the show because about an hour in, um, uh, Andrew Rich said that Tony Schiavone wasn't there because he was at a kid's uh, graduation, and I was like, "Oh, we're going to get a whole night of Jim Ross." This is just sucks so much. Tony Schiavone um, is so much better than Jim Ross at this point in time, and I know that Tony Schiavone's like whole shtick at this point is just like happy go lucky uncle. But my God. I will take that every day of the week and twice on Sunday on what Jim Ross is these days, which is just someone who doesn't know the product and screws up all the time and says like stuff that like got me tugging at my collar. It's not good. No, it's very bad. And yeah, but yeah, big, let's get back to fun. Big Bill owns. Um, I thought this was this a good is, battle royal. I thought like it was very cohesive, like every yeah. AEW battle royal. Um, there Ricky were a starts, couple. There were there were one or two recently that were not that cohesive, unfortunately. Uh, but this was a really nice return to form. I'm not going to tell you that this was like a, you know, the well, this should not have been a highlight of the pay per view. Like it should have been a nice little fun opener leading into a good show. It was not. It was probably the fourth best match on the card, maybe maybe fifth, and. Yeah. Which says a lot about the other stuff, but I, I enjoyed this. This was fun. They always do a nice job of tying all these stories together, and uh, they're very enjoyable. Yeah, um, I'll say this: as far as battle royals go, this is a four star match. 
Like, and you're looking, I'm looking at it from specifically a battle Royal lens because it's, it's so hard to rank it against other matches because it's so unique and different, but I did love the finish here because like it, it was just Orange Cassidy being brilliant, yeah. and like sw- like he and Swerve were, were throwing exchanges and moves on the apron, and then instead of kicking Swerve, he just kicks his hand and Swerve falls down because he's like, oh shit, and I thought that was just it fit Orange to a T, but who's gonna take this title off of him? That's a good I question. Like it's, this, this time is up, and I wonder if they're waiting for Forbidden Door, and this is just a placeholder. Hell, this whole show felt like a placeholder show, um, mm-hmm. and we've kind of already talked about that in in a vacuum. It feels like that Orange may be dropping this title at Forbidden Door. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, maybe it'll be Shibata. Um, you know, uh, maybe you know there was talk that last year was Ishii's last year in the G One, which I can't fathom from. Uh, New Japan standpoint, I know that they're like really working hard on cycling in some new talent and really giving them big pushes. But like, it's Tohiro Ishii, and he's still great. I can't imagine being like, "You're going to have to take a month off, buddy. We can't have you work in six great matches or eight great matches." Uh, but if that's the case, and they can get Ishii for like a nice th- two three month run, and you got to do that, that's a no brainer. But you know, I it is very interesting because. I think this Cassidy title run has been great. He's been consistently putting on good, great matches on like a multiple times a week basis. Uh, you could make the argument. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily agree, but I w- you can make the argument that he is the MVP of AEW this year to date. Um, mm-hmm. and, and what's what's ridiculous is some jack off in the presser asked him if he thought he was one of the best wrestlers in the world, and he's like, "No." Yeah. <laughs> like what? Well, uh, you. Don't ask Orange Cassidy a question like that, you idiots. I have not watched the presser because I was uh, I was coming back from traveling, so I just wanted to sleep. But, you know, uh, what I've heard is not great. So, No. But let's let's get to the, uh, the rest of the card. We obviously had the Battle Royal, which was very good. And let's go to arguably the worst match of the year. Adam Cole defeats Chris Jericho in an unsanctioned match with Sabu as, as the special guest enforcer. Not only did we barely get any Sabu, he came out wearing a suit. And we yeah. found out um, that the lanyard was for his um, former manager who passed away. Yeah, and, Melissa Coates, I believe it was. Yeah. So that that's forgiven, yeah. but... This oh yeah, you can't like- you can't make fun of that. Like it, it does look odd when it's Sabu, but like knowing that, you know, you obviously cannot be can't joke about it because it's it's actually very nice and touching. Um why is Sabu wearing a suit? I understand that, if he doesn't want to wear the genie pants and have his shirt off, because I mean the man's almost 60. Yeah. If he's not in great shape, that's fine. I will say Sabu was looking nice. Shirt? It was why, a nice he, suit. why is he wearing a suit? Why? Why I don't know, but it looked suit? nice. I'm going to give him credit for having a nice suit, at least, if he's going to wear a suit. But yes, okay, it does okay, not. Okay, that's He fine. did not exactly look genocidal, homicidal in, in his loafers. Wear a t-shirt and jeans or something. You're an enforcer. Yeah. You look yeah. like like in a, like somebody who's about to judge a boxing match. Like To me, like we're nerds. We love Sabu. But if you don't know who Sabu is, why the hell are you supposed to take him seriously? 
Uh, you know, I, I'm glad that he didn't die doing his splash off the top rope because I thought that the gravity was just going to defeat him and drag him straight down. Uh, but he was able to get enough horizontal distance on his splash. Uh, this match was um, was atrocious. Uh, it was really bad, really boring. Um, and, you know, I, I'm wondering if, like, AEW, whoever their road agents, producers, whatever term you like to use, uh, whoever it is that, you know, laid out the different matches for this night, if they talked to each other at all. Because you could tell me that, like, they never even met on this night. They did, didn't even say, hey, how's the how's the family? I would believe it because God bless this this whole show. But this was this was the epitome of it is just long periods of boring stuff where nothing's happening, and um, and what does happen doesn't look particularly good at some points. Like Adam Cole's look, uh, you know, I, I I listened to the flagship yesterday, and I was thinking about this already. But the the punches that Adam Cole was through to end the match and the ground and pounds thing looked awful weak and i think if if it's the finish of the match it's gotta look good and the weird thing is that there was a period where he was like he had the chain wrapped around his head his hand and was throwing punches with that and it was like okay well this looks better and then he stopped it just went back to to punches and it was a weak finish um the feud must continue with uh with one of these uh, intergender matches between Jericho and Soraya against Cole and Baker. And um, I will give 100% credit to Britt Baker for giving some life to this match when she came out and just murdered Chris Jericho with some kendo stick shots. I don't need a kendo stick in a match, but at least she came out on fire and like just laid into him. I will give her credit for that because there was those were some nasty-looking welts on him by the time she was done. Okay, I'm going to say this about the finish. I think Cole was supposed to have the chain the whole time. But in the sequence right before the finish, it got wrapped around his leg. And you could see Adam Cole trying to like unravel it. And then he just kind of gave up because he's like, okay, this is taking too long. Well, then it messed with the finish because the chain was too tight as he was trying to throw those punches. So he switched hands. And nothing went right in this match. Mm -mm. I'm going to be honest dud i i'm not even giving this a star rating this i gave was, it one star um, i think i think that's generous this was i don't know what the issue is and but i'll say this i don't want to see these guys wrestle maybe ever again because to me it felt like they have no chemistry no they've got a bit uh, you know i i believe in jericho and cole and uh Separately, i believe sure yeah, and I, I believe that they will try to make up for this on Wednesday. We'll see what happens, but you, I, you can't excite me for Adam Cole as world champion uh, challenger at this point. And uh, the idea that you might be following up that extremely cold Four Pillars program with him as the next big pro- program, uh, no, man, I can't get behind that. I am not excited for that at all. Yeah. And we'll talk about this now because later on in the show, um, I believe it was a couple matches after this, you had Soraya and Jericho yelling at the camera because Soraya came out to help Jericho when Britt Baker came out. And all Soraya got was Kenzo stick shots. So they Mm -hmm. 
whine and complain, and they challenge uh, Cole and Britt Baker, which we knew that this tag team was coming eventually, to a mixed tag match, which nobody wants. And then you combine the fact that, hey, you have just Jericho whining and bitching during the middle of a pay-per-view. Yeah, extremely WWE stuff. He throws, which, I mean, I, I, I understand this because it's kind of his gimmick. He throws the fireball and calls himself a wizard again yeah. at uh, at an AEW employee. So this was, I can't tell you how much I hated this. It sucked. Yeah, um, it was, this was a stinky, uh, stinky match. Really bad. Uh, just dreadful. Uh, dreadful for a long time. And initially, I, I was down on the crowd. But then you saw that, like, after this entire show, they got so loud for those last couple matches. I mean, they got super into Jade and Taya. This was a crowd that actually wanted the show to be good. And I, I retract the part of my... I, I did the... Well, I was one of the reviewers on the... Um, on Voices of Wrestling's uh, written review. I fully retract the... I, I said something about the crowd being a disappointment. They were not a disappointment. This was this was on AEW, and this was on the performers. And uh, they got the, the fact they were able to get up after three hours for those last couple matches as big as that crowd did. Very impressive. Yeah. Let's move on. I don't want to talk about this bullshit anymore. Um, <laughs> AEW World Tag Team Championship match: FTR versus Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett with Sanjay Dutt, Satman Singh, and. Karen Jarrett with the special guest Mark referee Mark Briscoe. This was good. It could have been a lot better. Yeah. And I think the best part of the match was Karen Jarrett. Yeah. She was awesome. Not only does she get involved, not only does she come out with like Mark Briscoe incapacitated and Aubrey Edwards comes out. She whacked Aubrey Edwards with the guitar. I good on Aubrey for taking that bump. Yeah. And Karen Jarrett has just been the best part of this feud. Like she like complete pro wrestler. Like she's not a pro wrestler, but she gets pro wrestling. Oh no, no. She's a, she's a pro. She's natural. Mm -hmm. Um, and she's fitting in great here. I, this kind of makes me sad in a way. Uh, and I'll explain why, because I think that, uh, Triple J, you know, Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett and Singh and Dutt and Karen <laughs> as they slowly expand. Um, they, they've they've really worked themselves into a fantastic TV act. And I really, I, I hope they never get in the tag team picture again. And I hate saying that, uh, the title picture, uh, because they're very entertaining uh, maybe they can just shift over to Jay Lethal and singles matches. Um, you know, I, I don't think Jay Lethal is exactly a in AEW. I would not rank him as like even a top twenty worker. He's still good. Don't get me wrong, but like he's he's Mister Three and a Half Stars at this point. You know, like capable of putting on very solid but not great matches. If that makes any sense whatsoever. Um, I, I just I don't know. I I think if this was a show with which was packed wall-to-wall with great matches, and then we got this match, it would have been perfectly acceptable. This would have been a nice little breather, a little trip to Memphis or, you know, whatever, wherever you'd like to point as a source of inspiration for the style of match. Um, because, I, you know, I think they're great at it. I think they're great at being goofball heels who constantly cheat. Um, but 
on a, on this show, it was really unfortunate because, like, again, they were, I mean, they were like multiple matches worse than this one by by a large margin, and like this cannot carry the load as far as like entertainment as as a match quality thing. Um, mm-hmm. Up until it, it, once you really got to the circus, this was a really fun, really fun show. Once things got really silly. Um, with all the interference and everything, and uh, Jeff Jarrett, you know, eating it up. Uh, but before that, this was this was looking to be another bad match. Uh, the actual ring work aspect of stuff was not great. Um, but then you got all the all the goofy stuff at the end, all the shenanigans, I guess would be the best way to put it, and uh, it got pretty good. But yeah, I, I you know, if maybe they can get someone younger. Uh, and better in the ring affiliated with this act and kind of shift Jeff to like a Billy Gunn style role where he wrestles occasionally. Uh, but, you know, this, I mean, still, Jeff Jarrett was a delight. Him, his uh, reaction to hitting his move, always great when he hits the stroke and like has a big celebration over it. He's such a, he's such a great heel geek. If this was what Jeff Jarrett's whole career was, again, I know I've made this point before. I'm going to make it again because, uh, you know, I think it's right. If this was what Jeff Jarrett's whole career was, just being the greatest mid card heel goofball ever, boy, how differently would we think about him as a as a historical figure in professional wrestling as com- as compared to like late WCW slash early TNA like. Ain't I great or consistent constant world champion? Um when people didn't want him to be. Um but yeah, this was this was very fun at, at its best moments. And it was nice. It was good. How how great is Jeff Jarrett? Like, he, he's a pro. And, and you mentioned it, like his he celebrates hitting the stroke like he just had sex for the first time and is calling all his buddies <laughs> to tell him about it. It's yes. just so great. Uh, he, he's and- great. I mean, it, I, I, he's such a delight. Uh, Sanjay Dutt, too. We got to talk about Sanjay Dutt. He's a complete maniac out there, and he's he's great at it. I, I love Sanjay Dutt. This company has really good geek managers between Sanjay Dutt and Mark Sterling. Like, they're not threats, but they're perfect for the mid-card role. And What's uh, hilarious is Sanjay has been a... Like an X Division champion, the guy is yeah. a wrestler. Yeah. Um, but like, I I don't know that he was ever really thought of as like Mister Charisma when he was active. But like, as in this managerial role, he is fantastic. Like, just a complete crazed person. Oh, I love him. I love him. I love Jeff Jarrett. Jay Lethal is like a perfect solid guy here. And I like this storyline pretty well. It got a little silly at some points, but still the the Mark Briscoe um you know friendship debate. But yeah, uh I you know, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. FTR, I, I want them in better matches, obviously, because I know what they can do, especially if Bald stays off Twitter and podcasts. Uh but this, you know. I just don't want this to be their reign, you know? That's all. So I, I want to point this out. And that it this is just a little thing, but it bugged me. Excalibur called the big rig the shattered machine. Yeah, he did. And come on. Excalibur, you're better than this. Well, we'll um, give. Uh, I like Excalibur. I think he's a good announcer. I know that. I think he's a great announcer, actually. I know a lot of people are like. 
so there's a there's a number of people that are not fans of him, and I can't agree with that at all. Um, but yeah, he did uh, screw that up last night, unfortunately. I I think he's great. I just, yeah. I just wanted to point that out because I'm like, man, this is very unlike Excalibur, but it yeah. is what it is. Uh, look, I I think I gave this match three and a quarter. It was just fun. A lot of it was very cohesive for the story, but it was absurd. You also had. Mark Briscoe kick out Sanjay Dutt and Satnam Singh, and they never left. Yeah, uh, part of that. Well, was they like, never left because out. Mark I, Briscoe I, died, yeah. and then yeah, yeah. But it's just like I don't know that 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 bugs me a little bit. Maybe it shouldn't. Eh, that's just what it is. Also, but, speaking yeah, of Mark Briscoe, that slap he threw on Jeff Jarrett at the end that was fantastic. Uh, oh, he's he's perfect oh, too. Mark Briscoe is a, a great pro wrestler. Um, I, I do want to. Did you talk about the hamburger thing for this show? By the way, no. Did you, you aware of this? I got it. Yeah. Um. That, okay, you work it out because I was gone and I'm afraid I'm missing details. But this is bonkers. You, you, you drop it. Okay. So somebody, and I think uh, we won't share the name publicly, but I think it was figured out who did it. Um. Somebody went around to different hamburger joints saying if you buy a hamburger, you got free AEW double or nothing tickets. That was a farce. But Fake. A- apparently they were offering on on the day of four tickets for 40 bucks to try and get more people in the door. Yeah. Just that like what people will do to uh to make this company look bad is honestly very sad. It's- yeah. A, a, a supposed uh, news source, a reputable big air quotes around that uh, reporter apparently went around and took those, those pictures as a, like trying to get one over on. I don't even know what it's just insane behavior, but how, how good of a hamburger though, would you have to get to sit through uh, Jericho and, Cole again because that that would have to be the best burger of my life. Gordon Ramsay's making it. I ain't taking a Red Robin for that. I'll say that much. Look, uh, anybody who does that uh, is basically um, the TP Beavis is searching for his bunghole. Like it's <laughs> it's just it's next level ridiculous. Um, it, if you're being that guy, don't yeah. be that guy. Just stop. You're an asshole. Go get a hobby. And it, the hobby for Christian is ladder matches as he faced off against Wardlow in the ladder match. I Tactical turtleneck, baby. I have two things to say about this. One, Christian coming out in a cutoff turtleneck. Yes. Was phenomenal. It was so great. And it fits this shit bag. He's great. Oh, he's phenomenal. We, we, we love Christian on this show. We do. And then two... Wardlow doing the Jeff Hardy spot. Oh my god, he's awesome! But that was the whole match. I mean that that was that was the best part of the match, and that did a lot of uh, carrying for the goodwill of this match that it does have. Christian did a ladder match while not bumping. Smartest man, like shoot, smartest man wrestling. <laughs> you could you could easily convince me. He's living up. Christian might be the best booked thing in the history of all elite wrestling because his character arc has been so perfect down to a T. Like 
his whole thing it was outwork everyone when he came in, and now yeah. he's I worked everyone. Yeah, he didn't have to. He did take a. He took like one bump. It's fantastic. He is, he is AEW's Togi Makabe. Like this is tremendous. Um, Give him but, a big chain. Oh man. Like I will say, the spot where Christian like, um, it falls off the ladder. Wardlow catches him and then delivers that power bomb. Very good spot. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this uh, this had potential, and I talked yeah. about it with Abraham Delgado last week on the preview show. But it didn't live up. It, like two and a half. Like it was. It was a like this show was built around the Wardlow table spot and the Wardlow power bomb, and that was it. I don't think it really accomplished it was, anything. It, they they tried to do the really cool springboard spot that Wardlow did, but like he broke the ladder. Um, which was a crazy visual, but you know, I'm just glad he wasn't hurt. I was actually afraid that he had injured his uh, tibia uh, or something like that uh, around the shit area. Uh, but looked like that he was okay. Probably just breezed the hell out of it. Um, Art Anderson, man, like I don't know what the hell was the point of him because it was obviously a planned spot because he had the blood capsule and everything, but him biting. Uh, Luchasaurus's thumb uh, and making it bleed. Like, that was just utterly bizarre. Um, between that and threatening to, you know, sex uh, sex up RJ City's wife on the, or I'm sorry, mother on the pre show, uh, this was frankly a really bizarre, uh, bizarre night for Arn Anderson. And um, at least he is, he's interesting, if nothing else. I'll give him that much right now. But I, I don't know that he should ever really step into a ring in a physical manner ever again. Let's just enjoy the fact that the Arn Anderson spine buster will forever live and move on, as you said. Yeah. Next match, AEW Women's World Championship match. Jamie Hayter defended against Tony Storm. And it was kind of what we opined about on last week's preview show. This was an angle. And it was an injury angle. And they got the belt on Tony Storm. And it feels like like this whole thing, I, I whatever, they did the injury angle. Okay. Jamie Hayter fought valiantly. She couldn't do it. And she got beat with Storm Zero. That that's all fine. I whatever. I'm not rating the match. It was it was it was an angle. Whatever. But to me, this sets up Tony Storm versus Jamie Hayter at Wembley. And that match. Yeah, could it realistically, and I, I, this may be a hot take, that could be a main event at All In. I will say, uh, Jamie Hayter with one arm would, did a better job in ring than either Jericho or Cole. Um, like, you know, there this was extremely short, like three minutes. It was really an angle, but I mean, still, what she and Storm were able to do was fantastic. Uh, it looked great, and when they do have their proper match, once Jamie's fully healed, it's going to roll. I am very excited for that, and uh, that was what the big takeaway from this. There was there a lot of nonsense, yeah, but you figured there would be, you know, what the outcasts do and everything. That didn't bother me as much as other stuff on the show in terms of uh, extraneous activities, if you will. Uh, but, you know, it sucks that this is what they had to do, but I am excited for for the return match. That'll be a ton of fun, and I cannot wait for that. 
oh, it's going to be tremendous. And I don't think it will end up being the main event, but at least maybe like, you should a co-main event. I yeah, unless they do Omega Osprey, there's nothing that in this company. I mean, right that, that's fair. That's a hundred percent fair. But like, if they don't, if they don't do that, if they instead do like maybe maybe even would you put that? Would you put um Hater Storm over? Let's say they did a no titles or anything, but Young Bucks versus um, uh, the United Empire uh, six man with uh, Omega, the Young Bucks against uh, Osprey and uh, Aussie Open. No, I would I would main event the, the women's title. I would too. I would too. We, we've already I mean we've already gotten a five star match out of those guys in, on Dynamite, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, I think the bigger draw is going to be Hater in her home country yeah. against Tony Storm, who is basically an adopted Brit. Yeah. And I, I think that's something that most people don't realize is she, like she was on NXT UK. She's, she's Australian, but mm-hmm. she basically was an adopted Brit as far as the wrestling scene was concerned. And I think that that's going to be, that's going to be what sets it apart. I, I'm a, I don't know if I'm necessarily you know, saying it's going to, but, I would heavily consider it. Yeah. I think you've definitely got to be considering that. Uh, but this got me very excited for that match whenever it happens. Uh, next up. Um, oh, boy. Okay. So we had uh, House of Black and their mystery opponents. Who could it possibly be? Well, it was the Acclaimed. And yes. we knew it was going to be the Acclaimed. Why they didn't announce it, that is... That who the hell knows? Like, oh, okay. I, I want your take, Fred, because they adjusted the lights. Do you like the house rules lights? I kind of don't care about them. Like, they don't bother me. They don't really like get me going crazy. Uh, the doctor wife mentioned she liked them. She was impressed by them. At least she thought it was a cool visual. And I can't say it's not a cool visual, but like, I don't think it particularly adds anything but i don't think it takes away either i think it's perfectly fine it's not like you know uh, bray wyatt fiend lighting or sin cara lighting where it's like what the hell are we doing here but yeah exactly uh, it doesn't feel bullshitty it feels legit It, it works enough for them in my mind where it's not a problem at all but the one thing is like it doesn't feel like a gimmick it just feels like it makes them unique. And I, yeah. that's why I really like it. It's it's normal. It's it's just the House of Black doing their doing the house rules match. And it's only been during house rules matches. I think yeah. that part is important. That it's if they're doing just a standard match where they're not doing an open challenge, then they've been they've had their normal light, like just normal ring lighting. But I think because of how they've done it, I think it works. And I think it's cool. Like, it it makes it feel unique and special. Yeah. And, um, I mean, my bigger concern is that the three house rules matches we've had so far have been really disappointing to me. Um I thought this was boring. I thought this was atrocious. I actually thought this uh, was nearly as bad as Cole and Jericho. I dropped one star on this too. 
Uh, but their the match with uh, Air Fox, Graham Metalik, and Blake Christian was a decent enough extended squash. And like the best Amigos match was fine. It was a decent enough TV match, but it was not what I was hoping or expecting. Um, when you told me that the House of Black was going to get a, a trios run, and uh, this was just the absolute wrong match for this crowd with seemingly never-ending limb work on Anthony Bowens. And like, sure, I get it. That's that's traditional tag team wrestling. There's nothing wrong with it. But this crowd was dead, and this was not exciting. Um, I don't know uh, if like somebody went into the. I don't know what, but like this was all like grab a hold, brother, and like this is not what I, I want. <laughs> this is not great. I gave this a gentleman's three. The work was good, and I, I can't deliver that low of a star rating on a match that had good work, and that's why the gentleman's three kind of exists. Yeah, because it it was it was good. Like it wasn't entertaining. It wasn't over the top. It wasn't great, but. I had zero complaints about the in-ring work. Um, I thought the best part of the match was Max Caster's rap. Um, oh, that was calling, fantastic. Um, th- making fun of Malachi Black for wearing uh, for blackface because he's got the little bit of paint on his eye. Yeah. Um, calling um, Brody King um, a loser on RuPaul's Drag Race. And yeah. then Buddy Matthews, um, I can't remember the line, but he basically called him Dominic Mysterio. And this Max Caster, just next level. And what's funny and also not funny about the blackface line is it ends up coming into play later in the show, which we'll talk about. Oh, boy, yeah. Um, I, I did think they did the right thing by pinning um, Billy Gunn. Yeah, absolutely. And That's the finish he had to do. I thought it was cool that he got a little bit of a heat segment and then Malachi Black just caught him because yeah. he's old and he can't move. And it just that part was cohesive. I really mm-hmm. liked that portion of the booking. Like that's why it's so hard for me to go low on this match because there's aspects I really enjoyed. That's why that's I the think only, gentleman three is fair. That's the only part of the actual match that I was into um, was the the finish because my God, like Afty Bowens needs a knee replacement now in kayfabe. <laughs> like after how this match worked, um, but this was just. I don't know, man. Maybe maybe I was in a crappy mood by this point, but like it just really disappointed me. I thought this Listen, was awful. Nobody can blame you. You already had to apologize to your wife for the pre-show. You're probably up, like on your knees begging for her to not hate you for making her watch the this card so far. Yeah. All right. We got to talk about this next match because this was very good, and I don't care how much other has hated it. TBS Championship match, Jade Cargill versus Taya Valkyrie. Oh, the vibes on we, this, man. This was a party. We shit on Taya Valkyrie coming into this company because it didn't make sense. Like, why are you bringing her in? She has been good mm-hmm. her entire run. The fans are into her. Yeah. And this this worked really well. Um, I Taya Valkyrie is not a, not a smooth mover. She's kind of clumsy a little she bit. She ain't Minami Toyota or, uh, you know, whoever you want to put out there, any Yoshi yeah. legend. But, like, this was a vibes match, man. And they went to war. They, they just dropped bombs on each other. And if you can't move... And, and like, look, I, I know, you know, I, I, I listened to the flagship wrap-up of it. Uh, Rich Krejci's big thing was that, you know, Taya works light. 
fine. You know, I, you know, I don't care about that personally speaking. Uh, she can work as light as she wants. I, I just thought that they went hard. Uh, they threw bombs at each other. They hit big moves. Uh, the execution looked good enough. I thought I didn't have any real issues outside. Jay did screw up the pump kick at the end, but like, okay, you know, that's the worst that's going to happen. Fine. I know that it kind of played into the finish, but it wasn't the finish. She actually hit jaded. So like it bothered me less because of that. Uh, but I thought this was a lot of fun. I went three and three quarters on this. This was up to this point, easily the best thing on the show. I thought in terms of match quality, um, and it was, I mean, I don't know how you can look at this and not declare it a massive success, given what we had on paper. This was the one stars. over delivery of the show. Four stars. Four stars, That's baby. Notebook. notebook. Um, I am not a coward. I, I I hope you can live with yourself, Fred. I, you know, I, it's a struggle every day, but you know that's a different conversation. Big thing for me with this match, they worked hard, and you can uh, tell yes. they worked hard. And this, th- there's a certain. It's Jade is like Goldberg, and we've talked about it. There's a certain formula that you kind of have to work within the confines of what she currently is, and mm-hmm. I think this was maximizing that formula. They had some big spots. They had a control period for Taya. Taya hits uh, the road to Valkyrie, which is just renamed Jaded. Yeah. And Jade kicks out, and that was a really good kick out. Um, and then she ends up coming back. Like I just thought this was so well well laid out. Yeah. It was they quick. worked really hard. And like at that, especially at this point in the show where I'm not sure anyone else really looked like they worked hard up to this point in a match. I'll, I'll take that, man. I mean, Wardlow worked hard, but like it was a different kind of work working hard. Um, I, I guess, yeah. Other than uh, Wardlow, up to this point, this was the hardest anyone worked. I think was these two women. Yeah, and you know what? I'm an effort guy. Yeah, I, I effort. That, this was a hundred percent effort, and like you can, uh, there's a lot of criticism you can drop in this match, and I can't really blame anyone for going much lower on it in terms of rating. But like this was perfect effort. I thought four stars. Um, I don't necessarily want to see Ty Valkyrie in this company much longer. Like, I, I'm just not into her. Uh, uh, I'm not huge into her either, but if she keeps doing this effort, if she keeps this up, like, this has been a, a good run for her. And I'm not going to, like, once she starts, once she starts being bad, sure, we'll talk about getting rid of her, but like, right, or reducing her role or whatever. But like, right now, I don't think you can say anything like that right now. That's my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then we had Smart Mark Sterling come in. And I think we need to preface this. They've been doing open challenges for mm-hmm. a while. So yeah. Smart Mark Sterling runs his mouth and it's like, oh, we've beaten everybody. It, it reminded me of Will Ospreay saying it right before Hiromu Takahashi uh, came back. Yeah, like, He's like, oh, I've beaten everybody in the division. I don't need to beat anybody else. I'm done. And Hiromu comes back, wins the title in a great Wrestle Kingdom match. But this kind of reminded me of that, Fred, because, oh, we've beaten everybody. We have nobody else to beat. And out comes a, a new Chris Statlander where yeah. she's got new entrance music. She's got new gear. She's got a new, like, attitude. Like, this is not I'm going to just mess around with Orange Cassidy and the best friends and be an alien. This looked like an ass kicker. And they go at it right away. And... Jade almost hits Jaded. Statlander kicks out, and then she gets that uh, 
it's almost like a combination of a bastard driver and a tombstone. I yeah. don't know what you call it. Yeah, I don't know either. She hits it, and she wins the TBS title. The reign of Jade is finally over, and this was exactly what needed to happen. But I'll ask you this. Do you think it was a mistake having Statlander get get the moment instead of building up a match? Because I think you can make really solid arguments for both sides. You could. But considering what Jade matches have been, I think this was perfect. Yeah. Um, what I liked about this um, was, frankly, this show needed some energy, and this gave this show a lot of energy. Uh, the Chris Dan- Statlander return and everything. Um, you know, I I am 100% on board with them doing this. Because of the open, because of the established history of the open challenges, uh, this wasn't like a money in the bank cash in. I think um, you could definitely argue that it would have been better for Statlander to do a, a proper build and eventually get a you know a normal match win. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm fine with this. I thought it worked out well. The crowd laid it up. We'll see how uh, Stat does going forward because I remember pre injury she was pretty hit and miss sometimes. Uh, but if she can deliver on what I think a lot of people saw as her potential, even a couple years ago, um, I would be on board with it hundred percent. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see how this women's division will keep evolving now that we have Statlander and Jade is, has a gripe because she wrestled the title match right before she mm-hmm. lost to Statlander. So uh, the heel is going to have at least something to like, start a real feud with Statlander on that basis. Mm-hmm. But Let's get to actual, like, consensus good wrestling, Fred. We're finally here. Yeah. And that is the Four Pillars World Championship match. MJF defeats Darby Allen, Jungle Boy Jack Perry, and Sammy Guevara in what I thought was a great match. Um, we, and I, I'm sure you had the same thoughts. Nobody really thought that this match was going to be bad. It was the build that stunk. But I will say they took the shitty build and interwove it into the match, and it made it better. Uh, a couple spots I want to read off here. Um, you you did have um, multiple throwback or um, tribute spots. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Darby with the Scorpion Death Drop. Sammy Guevara with the Code Breaker. Jack, Jungle Boy Jack Perry with uh, the Kill Switch. And MJF with the Crossroads. And yeah. then you had um, Sammy Guevara with, doing the Walls of Jericho. And uh, Darby Allen doing the Scorpion Deathlock. Like, that kind of stuff was cool. Mm -hmm. My favorite part of this match, I had two. MJF just screaming obscenities. Like, like when they're doing the Tower of Doom spot, he's just yelling, wait, wait, wait. When when, uh, Darby Allen is um, hitting that uh, flippy do. Yeah, the stun dog millionaire, I guess. He's like, what the fuck? Yeah, and Sammy goes to the super kick. He catches. It. He's like, "You fucking idiot!" And then Jungle yeah. Boy just kicks him right in the side of the head. Like tremendous stuff. But That's the best great. part was, and I know it's very WWE, but I don't care. And mm-hmm. here's the thing: AW is going to do WWE stuff, and I think we need to calm down a little bit because it's it's about how they do it, where they place it, and how does it make sense with who is doing whatever that action is. MJF grabbing the mic and offering Sammy Guevara the check to lay down. 
because Sammy Guevara announced as during his entrance that he and oh, Trey yeah. Miller were having a baby was phenomenal. It was great. I don't care how WWE bullshit it is. Sammy's like, okay, sure, I'll lay down thinking, oh, okay, dumbass heel. He's going to be a dad. He needs money. He's He's yeah. got a kid on the way. But then he just tries rolling him up anyways. I thought it was very well done, and it was short. It wasn't like it was. A, it was short, yeah. It wasn't a five minute Roman Reigns monologue during the middle of the match. I thought this was awesome. I gave it. I gave it four and a quarter plus. I didn't couldn't quite go four and a half, but this match was tremendous. And I thought the the finish here, where Darby's going for the coffin drop on Jungle Boy, but MJF slides the title belt, so it adds just a little extra pain for Darby. Yeah, where he and can't Jack. get up, and then beats him. With the head lock takeover. You couldn't have booked this any better. Plus, uh, Darby had a, a chance to win earlier in the match. He, he There was, um, I think it was on MJF, he had hit a, a coffin drop on him or something. And uh, he, he he purposefully pulled him up to do the, uh, the head lock takeover for a pin try. It only got two. Um, and so you could argue that Darby cost himself the match, you know, in kayfabe with that. Uh, I thought this was a lot of fun. I went four and a quarter on it. Um, I uh, I can't complain about this at all. I thought it delivered very well. Uh, they managed to avoid all the um, all the really silly, like lazy tropes of a multi man singles match, where like, oh, two guys got to go to the outside for an extended period, so you can just have a singles match for like three minutes, and then we got a trade off. Um, this was really fast. Uh, fast-paced and intense, and I liked it a lot. Um, Darby's entrance video kind of stunk. Um, like, I just I just wasn't really a big fan of that, but whatever. Um, but yeah, in general, uh, I liked this a lot, and it was a lot of fun, and I can't say that it redeemed the show, because uh, the show has had so much bad before, but this was uh, this was enjoyable. It was great. Um, everybody worked hard, and I'll always prefer a one-on-one match, but it, like you said, it never really felt like a standard four-way. It yeah. felt like all these guys were still were fighting for the one prize, but it, it felt organic. It felt different because, they, I mean, they had a few tropey spots. Like, let's yeah. just be honest. The, the four-way submission, I fucking hated that. To me, that's contrived bullshit. And I don't want to see that. It's fun for some people, but for me, I I'm out. I'm completely yeah. out. Um, but this this was great, and I'm fascinated to see what happens next with MJF. We have Forbidden Door coming up. Um, a lot of people, including myself, thought Adam Cole might be the next challenger, and that's what the Jericho feud is setting up for. I'm fascinated to see how where we go from here, Fred. Yeah, um, there's some very interesting things that can follow this up. Hopefully, it's all better than the build here. Uh, but yeah, um, I thought this was a, a really good job of delivering here. Uh, you have the potential of a Jack Perry heel turn, which I think is coming, uh, which I think is necessary for him. I think he really does need to do something to broaden his character and uh, give himself more of an edge. And you got the tease of that where he did the uh, NXT. Oh, I got the title belt. Oh, no, I can't use it because I'm a good guy. And it pretty immediately led to him not winning. 
Uh, Darby, I think, will just continue on his current path. Um, I think he, uh, and, and like, I, you know, I think Darby will be able to be at whatever level he's slotted at, but he should be slotted as a main eventer, um, frankly. Um, Sammy's going to be very interesting because, you know, the last few weeks of this build, he has basically been a baby face. And uh, mm-hmm. I think it's worked in the short term, but I have rarely seen people in wrestling that are more natural heels, more natural as a heel, I should say, as Sammy Guevara is. And it's just, I, I, I don't think it's anything he can change. There have been points in his career where it felt right that he would be a face for a short-term thing, but I can't envision like a multi-year top baby face run for him. Like It just does not feel right for him, and I don't think it works right. Uh, for his, uh, you know, for his uh, reactions and everything. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle him, how they handle him as part of the uh, JAS. Um, and I guess we'll see where this goes. Yeah, this is this is going to be fun. It's going to be f- very, very fun to see how, how things develop. Let's get to the real fun. Anarchy in the arena. The Elite versus Blackpool Combat Club. This was very good. Yes. It was very good, but I will say it could have been great for me, but I thought production early on in the match was so bad that it it really kind of prevented it from ever getting to that level. They, they completely missed the Omega backdrop on the barbed wire. They yeah. were cutting between stuff. It like constantly yeah the the cuts were very bad um yeah they figured it out after about 10 minutes but at that point the damage for me had already been done yeah like i think they were really trying to set to do that to sell the chaos of the situation that's kind of how i interpreted it that they were like oh look at all this stuff happening everywhere it's insane this match is absolute chaos but like it it, they they missed so much yeah they They missed so many of the big stuff this year and because Um, they nailed it last year like that's that's where I'm like, okay, I've already seen them do it. And if in a, from a kayfabe perspective, if you've never seen the production nailed on something like this, okay, you can completely understand that. But yeah. they had it down. They they did a great job last year, and this year they didn't. I, I do think AEW's production in terms of camera cuts and stuff is a big weak point of the company at points. It doesn't happen all the time, but when it does happen, it feels like they're constantly missing stuff. Uh, and it's like we really need to do better. Like you need to figure out the the, the camera situation because that is an issue that does pop up often enough to be noticeable. Um, mm-hmm. It's not like late WCW where like they just didn't care and they were misspelling their own wrestlers' names on Chirons and stuff. But still, it was it's enough where it's like we need to you need to work on this. Um, yeah. We need to talk about the uh, the elephant in the room with this match, which is the lead singer of uh, Violent Idols, I think it was, uh, and his not quite blackface, but kind of blackface. Uh, so he performs regularly, apparently, in this like two thirds mask that goes from like basically his eyebrows down to um, is it below? Uh, uh, it's below his mouth, right, with a cutout around his mouth. Yeah. I think is is the shape. Um, and it's, it's his. It appears uh, like I haven't done a deep dive on this or anything, but it appears that mask is usually black. On this night, he decided to do black face paint around the lower part of his face along the jaw jawline with a bit of red under, like basically in the goatee spot, if you will. Uh, and frankly, it looked like blackface 
at first glance and several glances afterwards. And um, that was weird and distracting enough that, like, it kind of, like, it took me a while to be like, is this guy in blackface? What is going on? Um, to before I finally figure out, okay, it's not blackface. But frankly, if it looks like blackface, it's really that different, <laughs> you know? Um, this was this was a screw up a, a own goal that uh, I don't think anyone. This 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 should have been a pretty easy fix. Somebody should have just looked at him and been like, uh, "We need to lose the face paint or something because this looks close enough to unacceptable that we got to be worried." Um, and this is going to fuel a a lot of um. A lot of people, bad taking, bad faith, you know, takes on AEW going to proclaim it a racist company or something, which I don't think it is, but they really fucked this up. Uh, this was a bad, bad, not good. This was really bad. And, uh, you know, I think they need to look internally at this and figure out, like, why did we allow this to happen on our big show right before the main event. Like, you know, any time on AEW programming would be not great, but uh, this was a particularly unfortunate time. And then the Young Bucks ended racism by uh, yeah. super kicking him to death. Shocker, the Young Bucks ended racism. Like, yeah. We should have Some, seen that coming. Somebody's got to pick up where Cody Rhodes left off and uh, it <laughs> fell on our two Young Bucks. So I'll say this. To me, bit like the optics of it, the optics of it were bad. Mm-hmm. It it did not feel like this was intentional. And l- let me kind of elaborate on why I, I kind of see that. Like it was a two thirds mask, and you know what the mask kind of reminded me of? V for Vendetta. Yeah, that's probably intentional. I think his his name's mm-hmm. stage name is V, if I recall what I read yeah. correctly. So. Yeah, like the whole thing did not feel like it was like, hey, I'm trying to be some racist dude. Yeah. But this is also the optics uh, that are really, really bad. And some of that cohesiveness that this show has been lacking is why Will Washington was hired. Mm-hmm. Like the little things, the things that, hey, I'm doing, Tony Khan is doing so much big picture stuff. I need somebody to help me just keep, keep integrity with some stuff. Yeah. And I think. I think we're gonna we're not gonna have nearly as many of these types of incidents and, and types meaning like what in the world are we doing here like and that's a very broad spectrum but I th- I think this was just an accident I'm he, here's here's my opinion I wonder if they saw this during like rehearsals or whatever or a walkthrough and they didn't think it looked bad. And then once it got on camera and how it was shot, it looked yeah. really bad. I didn't notice there was red at all. Yeah. And you 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 should, probably should have put a little bit of a red or something on the mask. Because yeah. even if you do that, that makes a massive difference as far as optics. Because a black mm-hmm. mask, that's fine. Yeah. Because you you have other elements with it. And, and when they initially showed the guy, it was from far enough away that you couldn't tell it was a mask. It looked like it could have been face paint. Oh, see, I, th- I thought it was a mask all the way. Okay. Um, I, mean, but I, 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 I am also notoriously an idiot. So, uh, I, as it says on uh, on the bottom of your screen here, you are a semi professional idiot. Yeah. I, I, I just think that they need to keep. Uh, they need 
they might need another will to mm -hmm. help them with these things. And, and and this does like bring in some questions. Like uh, this is this is why having minority uh, people in positions of power in an organization is important because they can you know they're they're going to do better than a idiot white guy like myself at uh, pointing out stuff that you know maybe uh, unconscious bias or something along those lines uh, you know would uh, would not notice um, and uh, you know this was a flub I don't think it's going to uh, really damage AEW in any meaningful sense but you know they at the same time you know if you don't watch AEW and then you just see like people being like why is there blackface on AEW then that's not exactly a uh, a good recruitment tool for people to watch AEW. Um, yeah. And I think the people that it would recruit are definitely people that you do not want associated with your company. Uh, not that I think that's a major concern. Uh, but this was like, this is a something that they need to, I, I hope internally that they're not just blowing this off, that they're not just like, yeah, this is not a big deal. I mean, this is a big enough of a deal where you need to pay attention to it and make sure it doesn't happen again. And look at your, look at what happened to allow this to take place on camera, to appear on camera the way it did, and uh, figure out what you need to do to prevent anything like this ever happening again. Agreed. Yeah. Now let's get to the match. Yeah. This Fun. was chaos. It was yes. violent. It was brutal. And I want to say the best part of this match was Matt Jackson. Oh Matt God. Jackson brawls with Claudio Castagnoli in the concourse. Then outside, gets pile-driven mm. in the bed of a pickup truck. Comes back in. Does, super kicks John Moxley in the face and blows up his Jordan. And then he takes, he takes a... Um, they rip his shoe off. Like a shoulder breaker kind of deal where his foot gets slammed into thumbtacks. And then right after that, he gets thumbtacks shoved in his mouth and super kicked. Yeah. Wow. Buddy. Yeah. Uh, that was all insane. Um, just positively nuts. I don't even know what to, uh, what to say to all of that. Like just the idea, like if I was ever asked, Hey, uh, you know, we're giving you X amount of money, but we would like you to be dropped barefoot into a pile of thumbtacks. And you have to actually, like, land on it so that we get the visual of thumbtacks sticking out of your foot. I would never, not in a zillion years, I, I could be, it could be a gun to my head. I would probably take the bullet. Just have no interest in that happening to my foot. That's just crazy. Um yeah, the, like that's that's an MVP performance right there to just like take all this. I mean, Rick Knox bladed in the first minute of the match, and it's easy to forget that <laughs> because there was just so much going on early on in a good way. Um, I thought that once they got back to the ring, that this was actually a really well done match with a bunch of cool high spots. Um, it was very exciting, and uh, I liked it a lot. I, I did not think it was as good as last year's Anarchy in the Arena. Um, it just, you know, the vibe was a little different. Um, I think the idea of the band playing the song over and over again until they're super kicked by the baby faces uh, was a, a good one. Um, I liked that. That was fun. Uh, but last year's just, I don't know, it was just a different vibe and just felt better, I guess. Uh, I don't have a better way to explain it, but 
Yeah, it was it was great. And I thought how they kind of um did the finish was awesome. Yes. Um, and we'll talk about the angle. Kenny Omega um hit Brian Danielson with the one wing angel. Mm-hmm. Adam Page hit the buckshot lariat. I believe it was on Wheeler Yuta. I they both almost right. got pins. Um, you got both, were, both were broken up, I think. Yep. You had bonding moments with uh, Paige and Omega when they had three. It was a three versus two in the middle of the ring. Like that, that bond is back, which is good. Um, but we have to talk about the elephant in the room. That motherfucker, Don Callis, comes <laughs> in. Yeah, he, well, one, I, we should have seen it coming if we didn't at the time that he, oh, they announced, oh, Don Callis has joined us at ringside, which yeah. this, this, in my opinion, is why they had the table at ringside. Probably, yeah. That right there. Um, And he comes up uh, when Kenny is about to, I think he's about to hit Wheeler Yuta with uh, One Winged Angel. And Callis comes onto the apron and Kenny like drops Yuta and looks at him. And then out from nowhere, we get the second rendition of the bodysuit cameraman yeah. stabbing Kenny with the screwdriver. And it's Kanosuke Takeshita. I think he hit a, a jumping knee to start off with, but yeah. Oh, is but, it a jumping? Okay. I, and then the screwdriver. Uh, but yeah, it was Takeshita. Uh, awesome heel turn. Uh, it was inevitable. It felt inevitable after... Uh, the past couple of weeks of uh, the once Callis turned, it felt like that he would definitely be aligned with Takeshita. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll give Tony credit. They pulled it off 18 days later and they didn't mm-hmm. wait. They didn't yeah. wait too long. They it kept advancing the story and I thought it was well done, but I thought the most important part of this match, Fred, and something that might get overlooked by people, Wheeler Yuta pinned Kenny Omega yes. with the seatbelt clutch in the middle of the ring. And I think that means something yes well it definitely means that they they value you a lot um I, they would not do that just because uh yeah but you know they, they would not do, just do this randomly there there's a purpose to it um but yeah this was uh yeah yuda looked great in this match he had a fantastic outing um i have something i'm going to ask you about that in a second once we're done talking about mm-hmm. the match but yeah, um, I'm super excited for this, and you know, it's not entirely clear how strongly affiliated Callis and Takeshita are with BCC. I think because it, it, once BCC did their gather together outside the ring to celebrate uh, right at the end of the show, uh, Callis and Takeshita were not there. Um, They're not part of that, so it could be like a weak affiliation. But I think I think we're going to get. This is my gut feeling that we're going to get um, Flood and Guts with Takeshita and BCC against the Elite and Kota Ibushi. Um, that's, that's my take, too. And I think at this point, if they don't get Kota Ibushi, I, you know, I don't know that it's such a big deal that like the whole crowd is going to be, you know, the whole AEW fan base is going to be disappointed by it. But I think at this point, it's an obvious enough connection where it, it would be weird if you didn't deliver on that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely agree. Um, I only gave this match four and a half, Fred. Um, same. I, Only I really, big air quotes around that. I really enjoyed it, but for me, the production issues just just kind of took it down a notch. Um, I'm I'm not going to penalize this match for the lead singer having um, yeah. like 
unintentional or intentional, we don't know for sure, blackface. Uh, like, I, that to me is not part of the match. It He's part of the match, but I'm not going to penalize the wrestlers for that. It it just didn't hit the highs. Like, you, Eddie Kingston coming out bloodied with a can of gasoline. Yeah. That. That was yeah. it. Like, that yeah. was... That was next level. Like, it, this was very good. I don't. I don't think it's a match of the year contender. It. I. I guess it'll end up fringe top twenty, um, because it was still very good, and a lot of very popular wrestlers in a major show. I think. I think this will still do well. But now I'm four and a half. That's. This wasn't the best match of the weekend. That was Teton versus Master Watto, baby. I have not got that yet, but I'm. I watched it, at it right before we recorded. Teton's performance in that match is the best singular performance I've seen all year. Teton is fantastic. Uh, it's really unfortunate that like Mexico kind of gets overlooked in terms of, you know, the, the, the super online, like the people that follow everything. It feels like Mexico is the one place that is definitely forgotten about before any place. It's else. because most of their stuff is relatively unaccessible yeah. or if See, it's yeah. accessible, it's three weeks later. And then by that point, yeah. a lot of people just don't care anymore. Yeah, and CMLL doesn't care, I think, about any kind of international audience. And AAA is just really not uh, competent <laughs> at that, <laughs> unfortunately, despite having a very good roster. Um, but they keep doing very dumb stuff constantly, it feels like. Uh, and CMLL, uh, this year they've gotten better. But I know that for the last several years that their booking was just atrocious. Uh, it was just very much... Uh, I mean, it, the the best American comparison I can come up with was when, like, after the NWO had kind of run their course, WCW kept pushing all the old guys over top of any attempts to make a new star. Uh, that was kind of what CMLL was doing for a while. I think they kind of have corrected course there. Uh, it feels like they're pushing much younger guys towards the top. And uh, but Teton's great. Uh, I mean. He's had he's been great for a while too, um, and I'm glad that New Japan finally pushed him in a best of the Super Junior because it felt like he would come over every year, put on very good performances with the time that was allotted to him, and then finish like seventh out of eighth with two wins or something. And uh, there, and it's great to hear that this year they're like, all right, you're going to the final, baby. And uh, I mean that's that's awesome. I can't wait to see it. But I am very much behind on New Japan. I'm I'm back in February. I think is where I uh, left off. Um, Gotta, gotta get there. Gotta get caught up. Um, I will say with uh, Teton, it they didn't just uh, elevate him in this best of the Super Juniors. He's mm-hmm. he's been with Lij for like six months. Yeah, he, he once they affiliated him with that, it, it should have been a little clearer to uh, idiot observer like myself that he was going to be a more featured guy when he did come back. But yeah, I mean that's great, uh, and I'm excited by that. Uh, but yeah, he's good. Uh, Soberano and CML is very good, and I mean there's just a bunch of talent down there. Uh, when Barbaro Cavanario is not trying to destroy his body, um, he's good. <laughs> um, Ultimo Guerrero can still go, but yeah, uh, kind of getting Atlantis off track Jr. here. Atlantis Junior is very promising. Um, yeah. Dolce Gardenia, I think he works very very light, especially even if, even for a luchador. But I think he's got something too. Um, anyways, I got way off course there. Um, You're gonna I want to ask, ask Yuta. yeah, I, uh, watching Yuta and thinking about some of the other guy, young guys in this company, you know, I, I know that the four pillars thing, I, I 
still think it's kind of silly to have turned it into a proper storyline and everything, but it's done now. We're, we're done. We're moving on. Um, who do you think are the actual four pillars of AEW right now? Like, in terms of the young wrestlers? Because I think I would... I don't think it, it's the four that were featured. You know, I, I really don't think those are the four best young guys in the company right now. If I had to go with a true four pillars, and I'm going to... That like the four younger guys I would want to build around. Mm-hmm. It would be MJF, Adam Page, Jay White, and the last one is really tough. It's between Ricky Starks, Wheeler Yuta, and Daniel Garcia. Yeah. Like if I had See, to pick four guys to build a company around, that's what I would do. To me, Adam Page and Jay White are just a little too old to be considered for this very Jay silly White's discussion. under 30. He, he is 30. Uh, you and like I don't have a problem with you classifying him as that. Just to me, like you have to be in your twenties, I guess. It's a very silly okay. distinction. Well, I'm a, and, and if if we're gonna do that, it's um Ricky Starks and Daniel Garcia, probably. Okay. See, I I probably would go. Yeah, I would go MJF. I think you still have to have Darby there. Um, although I think I just I think, don't know what kind of ceiling Darby has. I yeah, but like I, yeah, I don't know. This, his ceiling's probably winning the world title and then dropping it two months later. Like that's fine. Kind of I, I, I think he's like I think he's basically to me the comparison is at his prime, uh Jeff Hardy. Um like that's to me that's comp. that's the comp. Um and I, I'm perfectly happy happy putting someone with that that in that space as a four pillar. Um I would drop Sammy. I think Sammy's super talented. I think he's really underrated. I think he he's kind of the victim of booking because the few times he's been pushed on his own, it's been, frankly, not very good angles in my mind. Um, and he's just seems consistently in this lackey spot. And I would drop Jack Perry. I just honestly, I don't see Jack Perry as like a top, top star. Uh, maybe this if he turns heel and finds that edge and that revitalizes him that's completely different but i'd have to put ricky starks on there i think ricky starks is such a no-brainer to be have a higher ceiling than any guy that is not mjf in this discussion um and like you i think i would put daniel garcia but i think there's a very good argument that maybe it's yuda and not garcia that's that's a tough one man um because, because I think Garcia's got a little more charisma, but I think Yuta is very effective at what he is. Yeah. That last spot is really tough. Like I just I can't put um I can't put Darby in there. I, I love Darby. That's Plus, I think I think he's in his early thirties too. Oh well so. if he is, then I should probably drop him too, but you know. Yeah. Based on kind well, of he is thirty. Yeah, if, if I'm dropping Jay White, then I should drop Darby. Then it, then it makes it easier for me. Then I could just put both you and Garcia in there. Checkmate. <laughs> Bingo, bango, bongo. Yeah, there is a lot of young talent in this company, and I will shout out Adam Berger who uh, wrote a really interesting column for Voices of Wrestling. Oh yes, yeah, like, yeah I got a glance over that. Does AEW have a TNA problem? And pushing older stars and it you, you just go read the article because it's very well researched it's it's not narrative driven it's data driven and i think when it comes to the conversation like this that's incredibly important and he 
takes all the information that's available. Hey, when did these guys get pushed? Titles won and how old they were and trying to kind of look at that aspect and how um, is AEW kind of doing the same things with TNA. Now, the difference with AEW is they are still pushing young stars. And but are they pushing too many older guys? I think is a really interesting debate, and I highly recommend you go check out it out. It is a very well done piece. Yeah, it, it, uh, I was not able to read the full thing because of my travels, but what I did get to read was very cool. So upset. Yeah. So yeah, awesome. uh, downer of a show. Yeah, and but we're going to have multiple coming up here. We're working on something really cool before Forbidden Door that as we know more, we will um, we will communicate it with you. And I will say this. We do have one question in the Discord, Fred. Okay. From Diego Garcia. I have an email question from a couple weeks ago, too, that I need to. Ooh, yeah, we'll have to do that. Um, uh, Diego Garcia asked if Mansuri and Pat Bucker double agents. Uh, kind oh, of referring to <laughs> tell the WWE stuff. I like that, that. That's that's funny. Um, I don't think they're double agents. Uh, I I think we know Pat Buck just likes WWE style. Like that's yeah. just, he just likes it. Um, and he thinks it's good. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. I think there are elements of WWE style that is very good. Um, but the as a conceptual whole. WWE style stinks. Yeah. Um, it is. Uh, yeah, they're not double agents. Uh, people yeah. love that theory, though. Uh, just in general for wrestling. I remember there was a lot of like, is Kevin Nash a WWE double agent? Like all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, this is from Matt uh, back on May 3rd, because I'm very good at checking my email. Uh, apologies to Matt, but this was relevant when it was sent, so we're going to bring it up. Uh, any thoughts on the XFL? I personally enjoyed the XFL. There's one good game each weekend. I'm aware now some of the players and hope they make it to the NFL. Thank you for your time. All caps, Matt! Exclamation point. XFL uh, is good football. Yeah, did you, I? I really don't watch much American football at all these days. But Tyler, uh, what, what was your uh, XFL viewing habits? I. I watched it. I was not a hardcore watcher, but um, Houston Roughnecks fan, baby. I love I love the run and shoot, um, and I I really enjoyed it. I will say that I like the fact that it's easy for teams to come back if they're good. Mm-hmm. Um, the three point conversion rocks, so it's a one point con- no fee- no kickoff no kicking conversions. So there's no point after. So it's you get a one point conversion from the two yard line, a two pointer from the five, or a three pointer from the ten. And a lot of pe- teams do go for the two pointer because from the five yard line you get a little bit more space. It's somewhat easy to make. They're made around I think like forty percent of the time. So like it's pretty good odds when you yeah. consider. Um, but if you're down nine, you're still in the football game. You only needs a touchdown and a three point conversion. A three point conversion isn't impossible. I think they were hitting them like something like 20% of the time. It's a 10 yard pass. Yeah. You can do that. And I like the kickoff rule where um, the ball is, it has to be kicked within bounds. Yeah. You have from the zero to the 20 and you have to get it within that range. And the defenders line up at the 30 and the blockers line up at the 25 and then nobody can move until the ball's caught and then you block it they didn't have any injuries on 
kickoffs this year, no concussions. And I think that element is going to come to the NFL really, really soon. I think the XFL is good football. Is it great football? No, but it's good. And I think that's going to continue to grow and develop and get better. Yeah, there was, um, I saw an article on ESPN about like a number of players who have gotten uh, NFL deals coming off this past XFL season. And that's, uh, yeah. that's awesome for them. It, it is awesome. And I like that it's spring football, meaning mm-hmm. that like it doesn't interfere. Um, I think what we're going to end up seeing at some point is like an NFL Europe system where teams can send X amount of players to the league and they end up, you know, getting real playing time. Yeah. Um, NFL Europe was that way. I think like each team had a bunch of like European players and then they had like, I don't know, like 20 ish um, NFL players that would just go and like Kurt Warner came from NFL Europe and he made the NFL hall of fame. Yeah. Like, there were some real success stories uh, from like, um, the Scottish Claymores and the Berlin Thunder, and like there's some good names. Like let's yeah, just be real were. here. Um, and I think you can potentially like do the same thing. Uh, more football is better than less football. So even if you don't necessarily watch all of it, it's objectively better to have. It's better for the sport. It's better for the future. Um, it's better for the players because more players have jobs now because of the XFL and the USFL. And coaches too, like that's all good. Yep. Yeah, and uh, it's a great opportunity for uh, players who might not otherwise get into the NFL, and I think mm-hmm. that's fantastic because uh, it helps. Uh, it really does help. Uh, I think uh, the league it gives them a better player base, frankly, uh, because scouting is not perfect, and players may not mm-hmm. always land initially in the perfect spot for them, and. They may need an opportunity outside of the NFL to prove that they deserve to be in the NFL. Um, but yeah. Yeah, this is. Um, yeah, I love the XFL. But, Brad, that's our show. Um, that's it. We'll be back on Thursday. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> we will be back on Thursday to talk about um, Dynamite and resetting before arguably the most important three month stretch in the history of all elite wrestling. This is going to be an intriguing, good summer. In the meantime, you can find us on Twitter at good, bad, hungry. You can uh, email the pod at hungrypod at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at the real forno, all my Vikings work at the Vikings wire and at Vikings first school on the Vikings first and school YouTube channel, which is marked or listed in the, um, in the description of the show. You can also find Fred on Twitter at Fragrant Wrestling because he likes Ted Turner more than Vince McMahon, as he should. And you can also find a link to Fred's Patreon in the, in the show description as well, where he look, takes an analytical look at professional wrestling in a different light than most people in the industry. That is going to be a, a, a little quiet for the next month. It has been quiet for a couple weeks, too. Uh, but I just have a massive thing for work that I have to take care of. So po- apologies. Yeah, you apologize. Get on your knees and beg for their forgiveness, Fred. Uh, Too fat for that these days. Hey, trust me, I understand. In the meantime, have a great day. And a happy birthday shout-out to my wife, who will never listen to this podcast. You turned 30 yesterday. Happy birthday. Y'all take it easy. Have a good one. See you Thursday. Hello, everyone. My name is Taylor. And I'm Kelly. 
and we are the co-hosts of Jumping Bomb Audio, the podcast all about Joshi Pro Wrestling here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Every other Monday, we are with you talking about the biggest news in Joshi, along with show reviews, previews, and much, much more. So if you're new to Joshi or you've been a longtime fan, this is the show for you. We've got something for everyone here. So check us out, Jumping Bomb Audio.